amendments to the Pacifica radio bylaws. That's all at pacifica.org. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. Those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Halloween, 31 October 2017. How about that? I hadn't really planned to focus on Halloween today, but I would get around to it. I recommend to you Barbara G. Walker's book. Um, it's a $25 paperback last time I bought a copy. Uh, Ah, the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, and it has all the stuff about uh, pre-patriarchal, pre-Christian holidays. Uh, well, you know, uh, not just the solstice, but the whole, uh, the dawn of winter, so to speak. Um, it's all in there, all the pagan stuff and all the wonderful stuff about uh, the women, the Wicca uh the uh, culture and language uh, of the goddess. You know how that goes. I'm looking here at my poet for today, Edna St. Vincent Millay, and she wrote, uh, let's see, where is her? Uh, ah, yes. Uh, this is my note for her. This is her Halloween poem, Some Things Are Dark. I found this in Mind the Harvest. Some things are dark, or think they are, but in comparison to me, all things are light enough to see in any place at any hour, for I am nightmare. Where I fly, terror and rain stand in the sky so thick you could not tell them from that blackness out of which you come. So much for where I fly, but when I strike and clutch in claw the brain Erebus to such brain will seem a thin blue dusk 
of Pleasant Dream. Okay. <laughs> yes, Pleasant Pleasant dreams, boys and girls. Pleasant dreams. Uh, I think. Uh, I, I think uh, Edna Malay is hardly uh, a, a witch. Certainly not uh, the kind we're thinking about today. I. I always like to mention Hollywood's witches. Uh, Margaret Hamilton in The Wizard of Oz. You know the type. She was very good at that sort of thing. And, you know, I love the scene where she says, I'm melting. But I thought it was interesting. The original actress cast in that role was Gail Sondergaard. Very beautiful actress who... um, was pretty much wiped out by the uh, House on american Activities Committee, HUAC, uh, back in the day. Uh, the producers, whoever it was who made The Wizard of Oz, found her much too beautiful in the role. <laughs> so they replaced her with Margaret Hamilton, their idea of witches being something very awful and haggish, you know. Uh, I think that's indicative of the way things still are. Uh, you know how that is. Anyone with any feminist inclinations has got to be uh, homely or <laughs> gross. You remember Gail Sondergaard? Let's see, she was the wife of Rex Harrison in that old film with Rex Harrison and Irene Dunn, Anna and the King of Siam. And, oh, she was in so many things, Cat Lady, right, in... Uh, Cat Lady in Bluebird and the Wicked Woman always, she was usually Oriental in quotes uh, in the letter Betty Davis is being blackmailed uh, by her and uh, they both shared a lover and at the end of the letter Gail Sondergaard is shown pulling a knife out of her blouse. We know she's going to kill Betty Davis uh, give her her just just desserts. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. The Halloween stuff I spent too much time on in the past uh, would recommend uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley's The Mists of Avalon. So many, many. And Maria Gimbutas, uh, Language of the Goddess. We have to go back to the, the ancient... Uh, Ancient Tales. I'm thinking Mists of Avalon was made into a terrific TV series with Angelica Houston as the goddess. Uh, yes, the end of the religions. Very sad. She and Merlin mourn the end of that world, you know, but then they, they kind of segue over to statues and pictures of the Virgin Mary, the Madonna, and they show that, of course, the ancient goddess had transmuted, transfiguration, whatever it is, she had become the uh, female figure in the new religion. Uh, never mind. It's Barbara Walker's Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. It's, as I say, uh, a wonderful, wonderful reference book. I 
I was so glad I found it because I like Barbara Walker's work, but this is her, this is her magnum opus. She wrote a book called The Crone, Woman of Age, Wisdom and Power. She wrote, you know, a lot of stuff about the triple goddess, maiden, mother and crone. Uh, but in the Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, you will discover the origin of damn near everything, you know, from the red carpet to, uh, does it, uh, Water, yes, the whole idea of holy waters, amniotic fluid, that kind of thing. It all goes back to the ancient, ancient uh, rites and practices, rituals and ceremonies, and the Wicca, <laughs> day, day of the dead, all souls, night, winter, yes, as the fabulous uh, TV series uh, tells us. Winter is coming, that's Game of Thrones. They're always saying, winter is coming in. Uh, the Earth's magic, life and death, you know, the veil between life and death is lifted. Uh, it's the thinnest at this time of year, at this very moment. Uh, anyway, I see costumes on the street. It's a lot of fun. Uh I was at the Y a couple of days ago, and all the little children were running around in these super costumes. Uh, not all witchy. Uh, I saw a couple of hoop skirts, and they were having their photos taken. Anyway, I loved Halloween when I was growing up. I had a big dress, uh, a farthingale, uh, Queen Elizabeth. I remember a blue velvet one. Uh, and also, I always had a... Uh, 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 Virgin Mary outfit. Uh, I used to take it to school and put on little plays in front of my friends. I'd grab all my father's old bathrobes and take them and put them on the boys for shepherds. <laughs> it was a trip. Anyway, I think today I'm just going back to Edna Malay because I had a terrific telephone call with one of our listeners and I, I'm always delighted when men uh, are into Edna Malay. She, uh, <laughs> she, what is the word? Uh, she defined my childhood, my parents, my mother actually, and her best friends. Uh, on their drinking days, they would read Dorothy Parker and Malay was their, their love poet, I guess. I guess she's been out of fashion for a while, but Lawrence Ferlinghetti said that he uh, he liked her work. Uh, she's not, well, maybe she's going to make a comeback. Last week I was talking about uh, my hopes for a return to sentiment, not sentimentality, but heightened uh, sensitivity, our movies, our screen time. I, uh, it's not, it's not all awful, but the amount of crime and slash for cash, trash, and trauma stuff is overwhelming. Uh, anyway, let's see. Edna Malay. I used to write. I used to write notes on the margins. Uh, she, well, you know, uh, the biography. I'll talk about some other time. Uh, 
Edna Millay dabbled in Freud and psychoanalysis, and she wrote for Max Eastman's magazine, The Masses, and she read the works of Nietzsche and the projects of Emma Goldman uh, at Vassar. She did lots of plays. <laughs> I love um, her play, uh, the one about uh, the neighbors who fight and murder each other, and now I'm forgetting the name. How about that? Uh, <laughs> she did plays in Provincetown. Uh, under her picture in my school book, I write lines from Keats. And this is why I sojourn here. Alone and palely loitering, though the sedge is withered from the lake, and no birds sing. She talks about her past and her lost loves, she writes, like gardens looked at through an iron gate. The iron gate, of course, is modern, repressive culture, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the Victorian state of affairs back in the 1920s. Of course, she was a uh, an anarchist and an idealist. She, she attended uh, something called the Liberal Club. It was above Polly's Restaurant in Provincetown. Anyway, uh, I think... You know, she, she wrote her first big poem was Renaissance. Uh, us written uh, like Coleridge's "The Rime of the Ancient Mariner" in what we call octosyllabic couplets. Uh, this is the poem that helped get her into Vassar. A nice rich lady uh, came up with the money. She was reading in a local. Uh, I don't know what it would have been club or something and uh, uh, this woman gave her the money uh, Malay used to dress up with all these green scarves and smoke ferociously but anyway she she was uh, very good at these readings I have one tape I can't find it of her uh, reading aloud she always carried a flask of alcohol to every reading uh she, uh, she's, let's see, here's a note from a journal, a friend of Edmund Wilson's journal, a guy named Alex McCaig. He writes, quote, Malay's response to F. Scott Fitzgerald saying he wrote, uh, he wrote a book called The Camel's Back between 8 a.m. and 2 a.m. And she said, Fitz affects all the attributes he believes a genius should have. Uh, now, I was looking in that journal here. I was looking for the notes saying that she had the curse of Aphrodite as well as the curse of Apollo because she just had one affair after another because the poor thing couldn't help it. That was Edmund Wilson. Anyway, her romanticism ran the gamut from angst to zeitgeist. Here are the lines from uh, Renaissance. She wrote, O world, I cannot hold thee close enough, thy winds, thy wide gray skies, thy mists that roll and rise, thy woods this autumn day that ache and sag, and all but cry with color, 
that gaunt crag to crush, to lift the lean of that black bluff world. World, I cannot get thee close enough. Long have I known a glory in it all, but never knew I this. Here such passion is as stretcheth me apart. Lord, I do fear thou'st made the world too beautiful this year. My soul is all but out of me. Let fall no burning leaf. Prithee let no bird call. Right, that's the Keats. Keats identification where he wrote, Though the sedge is withered from the lake, and no birds sing. Ah. Oh, here is a few lines more later about her love of life and loss. Uh, 1945, she's older, she's going to die in 1950. She wrote, small hands relinquish all. Nothing the fist can hold, not power, not love, not gold, but suffers from the cold and is about to fall. I think maybe she was reading Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte's poems are amazing. She wrote, fall, leaves fall, lengthen night and shorten day. Every leaf speaks bliss to me. Now, Malay had a curious affinity with men. She loved them, but... uh, it wasn't that it wasn't that she identified with them so much. I think it was mostly maternal, overwhelming uh, pity. Uh, she writes in the collection "Mind the Harvest." She writes, "Who hurt you so, my dear? Who long ago, when you were very young, did said became was?" Something that you did not know beauty could ever do, say, be, become. So that your brown eyes, filled with tears they never, not to this day, have shed. Not because one more boy stood hurt by life, no. Because something deathless had dropped dead. An ugly and indecent thing to do, so that you stood and stared with open mouth, in which the tongue froze slowly backward towards its root, as if it would not speak again. Too badly stung by memories thick as wasps about a nest invaded. To know if, or if not, you suffered pain. We all know that look, uh, that numb look of people who have been uh, wounded too much to to even recognize what hit them, you know. Uh, I guess, yes, I guess love poetry... <laughs> has changed 
uh, I think of Malay as the muse, Erato, the muse of lyric and amatory verse. I'll throw in the muse of music and delight. They called her Vincent. She had a gold-red aura, a romantic hedonism, obsessive sexuality, sensuality. (laughs) Nineteen love affairs just couldn't help it, poor thing. She combined the bohemian matter, subject matter, with uh, Victorian matter and uh, forms. Uh, They called her Sappho around Greenwich Village and uh, she certainly lived up to the jazz age expectations of her peers, the romantics. Uh, She writes uh, in A Few Figs from Thistles. She writes, My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Yes, the longing is all that lasts, mutability, the dread of death, and the terrible losses. Oh, there are some dirges the sonnet in which her dead mother comes to tea, but isn't really there anywhere. She's a nature poet in the profoundest sense. Uh, pretty primal, pretty primal, right? Uh, her metaphor was always that of the thorn apple, it's a Jimson, weed of the deadly nightshade family. Uh, it's the beauty that stings Her poems are full of fennel and heather in the manner of Emily Bronte. Uh, Of course, she's much drawn to the sea and uh, socialism, as it was understood then in the Roaring Twenties. I always associate Malay with my memories of my mother. Mother was ten years younger, just the right age to be her devotee. Uh, (laughs) My mother and her friends read the poems to each other with much chagrin. They also loved her play, Conversation at Midnight. This play is not really for the stage, although a production was attempted on Broadway, but it's what I call a page play, a long meditation in which she writes, It is not arrogance, it is utter terror and loneliness that drives a man to address the void as thou. (laughs) I think of Emily Dickinson saying that her family addressed an eclipse each morning. They called their father. Malay's play conversation at midnight is about the crisis of faith. Right. Uh, The character says, man has never been the same since God died. He has taken it very hard. Why, you would think it was only yesterday the way he takes it. The moment it gets dark, he goes out and howls over the grave of God. (laughs) I remember once a pragmatic male telling me that Malay was uh, a poet of the past, a memory gem, 
leftover romantic, obsessed with death and loss. Well, yes and no. I think she was into life and death. Can't have one without the other womb to tomb. Oh, that's true, too, he said. <laughs> and Malay writes, God, I'm so sick of the smell of faded personal tokens fluttering out from between the leaves of second-hand books. Oh, let the dead past cremate its dead, I say. We have no room here, even for its bones. <laughs> Reminds me of something personal. I remember seeing one of my books in a used bookstore, and I reached for it and found a letter in the folds that I had written to the person I gave it to. <laughs> and I have to wonder if he ever read it. <laughs> oh, her thorn apples, rank-smelling plants with beautiful blossoms. I, I thought of that when I visited her home, Steepletop, in upstate New York. Once again, that's something for another, another day. I've, golly, uh, uh, I've barely started. I've barely started. Uh, like Emily Dickinson, uh, she, uh, she was very, what is the word, iconoclastic. Emily Dickinson wrote, my barefoot rank is best. They called Malay the poet laureate of the 20s uh, and spokesman for the new woman. The voice of flaming rebellious youth, she wrote, faithful am I to love's self only. <laughs> anyway, she said that she and her friends lived like bachelors much of the time. Uh, I watched, well, I saw her little writing room at her home, Steepletop. It's where she died in 1950. Uh, it's in the woods there. It still has her chair, table, ashtray, lounge, lamp, pencils ready. Her sister was still living at the time I visited in the late 80s. Her sister's name was Norma. I wonder if they've taken away Edna's things. Uh, the developers were ready to move in the, the moment Norma died, break it up into small patches. You know. uh, the little place in the woods is a shrine, of course, shabby with time. There's a swimming pool there, most mysterious. All coming apart, unused. And then there's a Celtic circle of trees, druid haunts, statues of arrows with his arrows and his smile. Okay, she was quite a pagan. I could talk about Edna's crack-up in 1944, about alcohol. I think I'll save that for another time because I have just barely time enough to read you a few more, just a few more of her, her poems, her, her sonnets, I think, are the most, most precious to me. Uh, 
She writes before, this is an epitaph for the race of man. She wasn't just a love poet. She knew that our species was in trouble. Yes. She writes, before this cooling planet shall be cold, long, long before the music of the lyre, like the faint roar of distant breakers rolled on reefs unseen, when wind and flood conspire to drive the ship inshore, long, long, I say, before this ominous humming hits the ear, Earth will have come upon a stiller day. Man and his engines be no longer here. High on his naked rock, the mountain sheep will stand alone against the final sky. Drinking a wind of danger new and deep, staring on Vega with a piercing eye. And gather up his slender hooves and leap from crag to crag down chaos and so go by this has been Jennifer Stone reading to you from the works of Edna St. Vincent Millay till next week at the same time go easy if you can't go easy go as easy as you can Good day, KPFA listeners. The Craneway Crafts Fair, KPFA's 47th annual holiday benefit, is shaping up beautifully. The fair takes place December 16th and 17th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. in the gorgeous, light-filled Craneway Pavilion on the Richmond Waterfront. We are ready to sign up volunteers to assist the exhibitors on Saturday and Sunday, plus setup on Friday. We will sign you up for a three-hour shift. The artisans and KPFA will sincerely appreciate your support. There will be 200 booths of original arts and crafts, festive food, and live entertainment at the Craneway Crafts Fair, December 16th and 17th. This is a fun chance to give back to KPFA. To sign up, please email volunteer at kpfa.org or call Kim at 510-848-6767, extension 2. 